Welcome to episode 398 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, October 19th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going? It's going great. I, uh, I went up to the city to see Beergraf's co-founder, Matt Denowitz, last night, and we uh, had some cellar maker brews and then also uh, scored three Pliny the Elders. So I've been... Uh, I like Pliny the Elder just fine. It's like definitely one of the top beers in the country, but it brings back whatever I want in trade. So I've opened up trade talks um, with with different people, and so this conversation could have just as easily been about Pokemon Go. I feel like or fantasy baseball, even or fantasy baseball. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> We're always collecting and trading assets, uh, no matter no matter what it is. That that's pretty awesome. That that yours on such a beer level that you know the right ones to get to make sure that you can then trade for what you want. <laughs> we got a lot of baseball to talk about, though, so we are going to dive right in. I got a question of the day. We're going to lead off with the question of the day. Does Julio Urias balk with his pickoff movie, you know? I think so. I has think so. to, right? I mean, the, the, uh, how is it not would be my question if you had said no, but uh, we're, we're in agreement there. Do you think that um, with all the, the the hubbub over it last game, and you know, to to his credit, we we were open to crushing him when when we don't think uh, he's saying the right thing or when we don't really agree with him. But Harold was on it. Uh, Harold Reynolds was was harping on it and and really kind of breaking it down and and showing why it was a balk. Do you think it's going to play at all today when we see uh, Arias go against the Cubs and maybe the umpires are a little bit hotter to it? Um, I, I, I can't believe that the time that he caught, was it Bryce Harper? Um, didn't he catch Rizzo? He caught, he caught Harper in the first series, but didn't he catch, or no, he hasn't pitched in the series. It was Harper. You're right. You're right. I can't believe that Dusty Baker didn't appeal. Right, uh, or come but, can, out but, and yell. but can you can you appeal and say, "Hey, that was a ball." He could have come out and yelled, or he yelled. Maybe That's he was true. yelling from the, maybe he was yelling from the from the dugout, and we just don't know. But maybe his toothpick was stuck in his gums or something. <laughs> but and, I would have, I would have, I would have come out and made a scene just to to have them, you know, look at it. I mean, the Bach is a little. The Bach rules strikes me a little bit like the uh, pine tar rule. There are a lot of Bachs. There are a lot of box that happen, and so you don't want to bring it up. And 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 yeah, and like different pitchers on different teams, and you usually have a guy on your team that has a good pickoff move that's close to a box. So I think for most games, you kind of you just look the other way. And, and sure. Pine tar, uh, you know, people are using that sort of stuff every time they're out there. Clay Buchholz is just like lathered down, with <laughs> just just grease in every nine bottles of bullfrog every game (laughs) even when he doesn't start he just has it ready just in case (laughs) yeah well he was in the bullpen for a while he had to be always ready exactly uh, also you need to like keep a consistent look right yes that that was the thing too this is how i always look okay but we're we're at church i know but i had to do it (laughs) so uh and then then of course when it becomes like kenny rogers you know shutting them down and uh, in that in that uh, World Series game against the Cardinals, where they they appealed and they they asked the umpire, then the umpire has to go out and and look. And I asked asked an umpire for a piece that I did for the Hardball Times Annual about mud. We were talking about mud, but I asked him about you know about pine tar and stuff. And he said, "Yeah, I, I'm not going to go out there and do it on my own. I'm not going to go out and, and just start taking clothes and start looking at stuff. Mm-hmm. They have to actually come and tell me." And so I think I, we've seen that play out, where where the manager has to eventually push push the umpire out there, even if even if a telecast is starting to see something, until the manager comes out. And and you know Michael Pineda is the most recent example. He made it so obvious with the pound of it, you know, bulging off of his neck that they had to say something. Yeah, maybe it was just too obvious, or maybe they really wanted to win that game. I mean, that's that that comes up a lot. AJ Ellis had a quote about you know. Um, what what third game of the series? Uh, you know you're about to leave town and you want to mm-hmm. win the game. Um, mm-hmm. Then you make a big deal out of it. But uh, in any case, I, I think the ball is a little bit like that, where you have, have to make some noise for them to really look at it. They just mostly kind of look the other way. And if you made some noise about it, I feel like you might get a call. I think maybe we'll see that out of out of Tito Francona because you know 
the basic rule is that, you know, is the pitcher pretending the pitch when he has no intention of doing so? Yes, and that's why the first to third was, what uh, wasn't that canceled out? The, the, the fake move, again, because you were faking. Uh, they eventually got rid of that. We haven't really seen, you know, it hasn't really impacted oh, the, the game. first to third thing? Yeah, the fake, or fake third to first, rather, where you go fake like you go, and then spin around and go back to first. That was removed because that was deemed too too deceptive. I mean, it's such a fine line, right? Because there are guys that do have great moves, but there are others who are very clearly balking. And uh, the balk rule is just one that, you know, even as as a as a baseball diehard, I still struggle with. There are times when a box called, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't see it. And then there are other times when ones aren't called, where I'm like, well, how's that not a box? So right. I'm still unclear on it myself. Well, there's like this supposedly this 45 degree line, um, yes. where they have to step, and, and and I think that's not really officially in the rule book, but the in the rule book it says uh, throws from the mound to a base without stepping towards the base. So, um, so. Basically, uh, the 45-degree line might be about whether or not he's stepping towards first or stepping towards home, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's sort of like a, a thing that people talk about. But in his case, uh, what it is is that he, um, he uh, by moving that big leg kick where the leg goes behind, uh, behind him and then starts going home, that's, that's the beginning of delivery. It has to be. It has yeah. to be. I mean, it, it, the the thing of it is, I think Urias led the league in pickoffs despite his you know very limited sample this year, which tells you, I guess, how good it was, or more to the point that we're we're, we're drilling here, how illegal it was. Because yeah. I, I just I I don't think in uh, the fact that he got no box that was kind of surprising. Like not a single buck called all year. But I think I think the uh, the, the the fervor over it last time out and when he did get Harper by the way I was I was mixing up what uh, Rich Hill his little battle with Rizzo yesterday where he throws over 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 the announcers are like well Rizzo's not going to run anyway what are you doing boom Rizzo ran uh, but you know the, the Bryce Harper one I think I think that brought enough attention on it obviously on a huge scale um, to where tonight they're going to be keeping an eye on Urias and, and he's, he's going to have to either tighten it up or he's going to get called for a balk, and it and it could change the. Uh, it's going to be an, an interesting part of it. The other thing is that he he's kind of struggled so far on first pitches. What I don't understand though is that um, he's the same. He has the same percentage of fastballs on first pitches as he does um, the rest of the time. So, so his pitch be, mix doesn't change. The pitch mix doesn't change. I mean, there's more curves than changeups and sliders because if he thinks they're not going to swing, he'll steal he'll steal a strike with a curve. Uh, that's mm-hmm. but that's not a reason to struggle really. I wouldn't say like throwing more curves than ch- changeups and sliders. That's not really. I would look at the fastball location. I bet you he's a little bit too middle middle. And that would make sense. Just because you're trying to get a first pitch doesn't mean that you want middle middle. You want you you still kind of want to throw it to a corner. So um, you know maybe that's something to watch. Uh, otherwise, he's really good. I mean, he's really good. The curve is he's- really nice. He's great. He's great. He has four pitches, and he mixes them up. He like throws them in different order, and um, he'll he'll throw things. He'll throw change like same sided change ups, and like he'll do all sorts of things that sort of veteran guys do. So and he and he does it with good velocity. So he's he's it's going to be a tough one for them. They're going to have to uh, they're going to have to kind of be better. You know, uh, last night I was surprised that the Cubs couldn't. Uh, put anything together against the uh, against the Dodgers, really. We're going to get into the Cubs a little bit more and, and their hitting struggles um, because it has been problematic. And the fact is, you know, obviously they won their first series. That's how they got here. If they weren't winning, if they didn't have some key hits, if they didn't have some spectacular defense, I feel like their, their hitting woes would get a little bit more attention. But before we get into that, I want to uh, turn back to Jake Arrieta from last night. A bumpy outing. Homers did him in. No walks, which was kind of surprising. If you told me that he was going to have this kind of line, five innings, four runs with a couple bombs, I probably would have said that's going to have you know two, two to four walks in there somewhere because those were, that was the kind of line that he was putting up a lot this year. But what stood out to me, and I, I got this from the telecast because I, I hadn't really noticed, was that since that um, shutout, that complete game shutout in the wild card last year, 
he's been pretty pedestrian, actually leaning toward bad in the playoffs. A 582 ERA in four starts, and only one of those is actually a quality start. Five and two-thirds, four runs. Five five innings, four runs. Six innings, two runs. That was against uh, the, the Giants, the, the big one where he also hit the home run. And then yesterday, five innings, four runs. Three of those are on the road. One's at home. Uh, last the, the two last year with the four earned runs had good strikeout totals. He still kind of looked like himself. Home runs have been prevalent in in all three of the ones with the with the four earned earned runs there. It, it just hasn't been that great for Jake Arrieta in the playoffs. It, should there be more discussion here about his performance in the playoffs, or you know, is he kind of catching a pass? Where some of these other guys who maybe uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of split. I think David Price really does have struggles, and I think Kershaw's are overblown. Should Arietta be lumped into this uh, playoff struggle pile of aces that we've been talking about over the ca- past couple years? You know, I think three things come to mind here, and they don't all sort of sum up nicely. Uh, one, I think it's interesting you mentioned David Price because I think. Really, the only problem David Price has is that he faces better hitters, and so so his kind of seen what he does against the best hitters, you know. Yeah, and and his heavy um, live in the zone, you know, just throw that cutter, pound it, pound it, pound it. When they jump on it, 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 it like you said, great, great, great hitting teams, it becomes a lot more problematic, and that's kind of what we've seen blow up in his face now in uh, four of his last five playoff starts, dating back to thirteen for for Price. And he does, he does actually use the cutter more. So it's an interesting uh, situation there where he's a little bit different in the playoffs. So uh, that uh, might, you might be seeing some of that with Arietta because he's hasn't been as good as he was during his Cy Young run. He's been good, but he hasn't been that good. So maybe that was, you know, a sort of peak year situation and he's more, you know, 2016 than he 2015 in terms of true talent, mm-hmm. and then he's facing better hitters, so that's another sort of wrinkle that makes it seem like, you know, he's worse than he is. It's really, it's just a sort of maybe the true talent's a little low, lower than we thought it was, and that's that's sort of that that might be true. Um, I I don't know about that. Number two, I think there's been two different reasons for his struggles in terms of what's happening in the moment. I think last year he was a little tired, honestly. Yeah, um, I think that's completely, season. and he he admitted it, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. he said uh, I mean, he hadn't have had to a open. lot of innings. He, he's not a, like a, a guy who's been at two hundred most of his career. In fact, he's, one time. He's, yeah, he's a, he's a guy who's who'd had trouble before last year. He had trouble uh, completing a full season. So, yeah, so that, I think that was last year. This year, he's uh, he's said that he's he's lost his slider, um, and uh, and so. You know his slider usage went from nearly thirty percent all last year uh, to where you know ten to fifteen percent, and he became like a heavy sinker user this year. Um, so you know the sinker is really good and it's powerful, and he's got good command of it. But I think he's a better pitcher when he throws thirty percent. So the last two starts, he's thrown um, the slider thirty percent, and um, you know. It's funny because I think it's it's sort of a velocity thing. Uh, the slider has dropped in velocity a little bit this year. As has the, as has the, uh, the the sinker as well. So if he's relying on that, you know that the the sinker's getting almost all that uh, all that pitch mix. As you mentioned, the the, the slider's gone from twenty nine percent to eighteen percent. Almost all of that has gone over to the sinker, and and, and the sinker's now from ninety four point six to ninety three point seven. So he lost a tick on that. So you know you add those two things, more of a of a lesser pitch, yeah, kind of makes sense that 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 there are some more struggles with it now. His whole playoff has not been bad. That first start was really good against the the Giants. I mentioned he he did some offensive work in it as well. He was sharp for six innings, and I didn't at, at no point yesterday. Was I watching him saying, oh, this has been horrible, but I just was kind of like, it it, it was a little off. More to your point about how he wasn't quite the super stud, and maybe this is just a true talent level where, okay, he's an excellent, excellent two, as opposed to that bona fide ace. And when he's missing, it's, it's it's going out of the park now. Yeah, it's there's some of that going on. There's also it's really hard if you look at movement and velocity. That t- that little half tick on the slider is really the only change, and yet his whiff rate this year 
went from you know 17 and 15 percent the years before to to 13.7 percent this year. So it's definitely mm-hmm. went down this year. And I wonder if there's not something to the idea that if he throws it more often, he becomes more unpredictable. And, um, you know, just by throwing it more often, he would have gotten better results. And maybe he saw some, you know, iffy results and then, you know, stepped off of it and then became more predictable. And so then people keyed on the sinker and, uh, you know, hit him a little bit harder. The, you know, th- those things could be true. Like, it, he could, it could all be in his head. Like, he, if he just went back to throwing the slider 20, 25% of the time, Maybe he'd find better outcomes, and um, you know, or maybe it's a command thing. Maybe it's not about movement. Maybe he just can't command the slider like he used to, and that's that's why he's afraid to use it so often. Uh, but there has been a change. He's not quite what he used to be either way. So I, I think that you'd have to kind of put the different um, you'd have to kind of put the different appearances that he's had in different buckets. You know what I mean? It's a you know. Yeah, I think that's was, fair for Ariad, and that's why it's so hard to say that someone is actually a struggler in the postseason because not only is it a small sample, but it's a small sample accrued at different times. You know what I mean? It's like... Um, oh, yeah, completely disjointed. Like, like you might go to the playoffs in 2010 and then not go for four years. Mm-hmm. Like, if you stu- struggled in 2010 and then struggled again in 2015 with a totally different team and maybe even a totally <laughs> different arsenal, is it really fair to even put those two in the same bucket? So no, not really. I I, I totally agree with you uh, on that one. Now the the one thing with like a price, he has gone consistently, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, that, that, I think that is that's why price has been the most compelling argument for me in terms of maybe there is some struggle there because he's gone every year and he's had similar problems and he throws more cutters and they, you know, they get hit harder. So now for like Arietta, ra- wrapping him up. If this series goes the distance, I think he'd get Game Seven on Sunday. Would 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 the one fix if you were going to give him one thing? Would it just be throw more sliders? Yeah, I think so. And I think you can even see it in the numbers. Uh, his best month for for whiffs this year. Uh, his two best months were. Wait a second. So that's April. So April and October, and in between he averaged ten to twelve percent on the slider. Uh, and his best months for the whiff rate on the slider were, were April 20% and October 17%. And oh, wow. uh, if you look at usage on the slider, the most that he's used the slider were April and October. Um, so it's, it seems pretty clear. Use it so, more, better yeah. results. I think so. I think uh, you know everyone at this point can hit uh, fastballs, and that's... That's one of the things that separates good hitters uh, from the pack is your ability to, to, to hit fastballs. That's the best strength you can have is to be a great fastball hitter because, mm-hmm. you know, 50 to 60 percent of pitches are fastballs, you know. Um, so I think that uh, just in terms of being different, you they probably the Cubs have also I mean, the Dodgers have seen him a bunch, you know. So that's true. That's true. And like, they were they were no hit by him. His forcing percentage is, is up is not surprising me at all. Um, and so I think going, if they've seen him some this year and they think, okay, I'm going to see, you know, I'm going to see a slider per at bat or whatever. Right. Um, I think bumping that up to two or three sliders in that bat makes a big difference. Well, it'd be interesting to see if they, if they advance how he does against the AL team. And if they, if they have, again, have to go to the hilt on this one, how he does against the Dodgers in a second game. Now, here's the thing. Didn't matter how he pitched it yesterday. Uh, you know, it wasn't his best, but the offense got no runs. So they could have given up. He could have given up four. He could have given up one. It wasn't going to matter because the offense is not hitting. And again, I think that it's being a little bit um, not ignored, but just not really given full attention because first off, obviously they won the divisional series and uh, they've had some other flash to kind of pull away from it, either in the form of big hits when they do hit, or again, the flashy defense that they've had. But they're hitting 185 with a 577 OPS. That's the worst among the teams that are left, and even among the teams that uh, made the divisional series. The only, the only two teams that are worse than them were the, uh, were the, were the wildcard teams, the Giants and the... Um, Giants and the Mets from that one amazing game between Syndergaard. Bumgarner, no surprise there. We're not really taking a one-game sample for anything when we're talking about measuring OPS. In fact, even the samples that we have for the teams that have advanced are tiny. I get it. But I think it's clear that they aren't hitting. I don't know that there's a whole bunch of bad luck going into it. Now, maybe for some of the guys there is, but at large, the Cubs aren't hitting. 
Are they in trouble here in L.A.? You know, there are certain things. There, there are a couple things you can do in the postseason to a batter that you can't do all season. You so, throw the ball at his face, and then he doesn't get first base. It's a new rule. You can hit him, and they don't count hit by pitches. That is one thing you're right, and that scares a lot of guys. So maybe they're – no, I'm kidding. Continue. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> though, I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, you can use your relievers. You, know, you can use Andrew Miller for two innings in the sixth. In the sixth. And Kenley um, Jansen all, all day, yeah. Right. The, the relief the relief usage obviously is really, you know, it's 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 come up uh, with KC's rise, but now it's being put on even a bigger stage this year with not only uh, it's with singular guys going multiple innings. With with KC, they went bam 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 three four guys at you. They each getting their inning. Now we're seeing these these relief studs go multiple innings, and you know it, it, it's just such a different game than the regular season. The second that there's a little bit of fraying from a starting pitcher, he's out of there for some beast who almost all of them throw 95 plus with some sort of wicked breaking ball. So it, it is just such a tougher environment. Uh, but the Cubs, they're, they're really struggling. Is it because they're more of a home run team? Do you think? Um. Well, I, there, I think the other thing I was going to say is there are certain um, there are certain ways you can manipulate. So the relievers are making it harder on them, but then there's also certain ways that you can manipulate a scouting report on a player to an extreme that it might be tough if you were going to do that three times in a season. So, for example, Chris Bryant. Let me let me have it, the number in front of me. But Chris Bryant's seeing more more breaking balls, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's hard to. It's hard to re- hard to get a real breakdown on this, but you can see in, in Brooks baseball that he's up to thirty uh, percent from you know sitting around twenty five percent breaking pitches um, in, in the season, and that uh, he's seeing the fewest uh, fastballs um, you know on average in October than than he than he's seen in his career really uh, for a month. So uh, you know the scouting report on Bryant anyway is that he can hit fastballs. So you know, he sees a, a good diet of breaking pitches um, anyway. Uh, but you can really push that to an extreme in the postseason because, you know, for example, if it's your starting pitcher that's going to throw these breaking balls, he can throw more breaking balls because he's only going to want to go four or five innings. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you if your starter routinely went four or five innings during the season, you'd blow out your whole staff. But, you know, <laughs> big in, trouble. in October, the, the average... The average uh, start now is actually, uh, you know, this this postseason right now it's five and a one quarter. inning. Oh, I thought it was one inning. <laughs> five I thought Trevor Bauer really so brought it down. That's the lowest it's ever been, and it's actually below five and a quarter. So you know, wow. we're talking about just a nidge over 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 five innings. So if you're only going to go five innings, then you know you can throw fifty percent curveballs and and be your own little private rich hill. So. Um, you know, I think that's a little bit what's going on with Chris Bryant. Um, you know, uh, Zobris is seeing more uh, changeups uh, than he's ever seen. I believe it's uh, Zorbist. Uh, Pete Rose get, gave a, an official pronunciation. I think it's Zorbist. So just wanted to correct you on that. I know sometimes names a little he bit looks, tricky for you. You know what he looks like? He looks like a Twitter egg. He Absolutely. He, he looks is like a, a he, homeless Twitter egg. He is the personification of a Twitter egg with not only how he looks, but what he says. Yeah. Uh, 100% agree there. Yeah, it's so weird because, you know, Fox really loves to have the former player. So they have three former players up there. And Pete Rose, you know, has angered so many people. I'm not personally as angry at him, but he's no, angered I can't, so I can't many just make people fun of him. that you're just staring at his spot and just being like, <laughs> why can't it be an analyst? Yes. Why I mean, can't they have one dork up there? Jesus. Yep, I, it, does, it doesn't make sense. And, and, the, and you wouldn't replace A-Rod because he's been great. A-Rod's fantastic. He was great last really year. I think good. he's even better this year. Yeah. If, you, if, you, if you still hate A-Rod, fine. That, that's all right. But at least listen to what You're he says. a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I because he's not going anywhere. I yeah. think he gives baseball one more kick. I don't think he's officially retired, so I think he's going to come back, play a couple months, get his homers, and then boom – 
15 years uh, on the desk or in the booth. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's guaranteed. Thomas, he, I think Thomas is okay. He hasn't, he hasn't made me really want to facepalm, but Rose just like constantly is, is just, he's just saying just weird things. And I, I just really wish that was a, a nerd. And it doesn't have to be a nerd that is going to spout, you know, cause in pitch, they made fun of, um, of nerds a little bit. I don't know if or you're watching they? Pitch, but... Uh, so. I've, got, I've got them co- collected on the DVR. I've only watched the first episode, but I'm, I fully intend to watch it. It's not... Uh, a, I'm not I, giving you a spoiler. There's just one part where one of the characters goes to, you know, goes to the desk, basically, and is on TV, and he comes out with Woba and, you know, says, you know, all this stuff, and, and they all look at him like he's crazy. You know, they? I'm talking about a good nerd that isn't going to... You know, isn't gonna just spout stats. Well, He's gonna go well, up there Verducci and say, "Well, is Verducci done? Is Verducci done yeah, with the, uh, announcing?" A good nerd. So yeah, put him on there. He's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I don't love the Verducci effect, but you no, know, but. But that's just one little thing. He's he's pretty good, you know. He's he's the guy that I would love to have there. So anyway, um, we went off topic. Uh, yeah, sorry. So uh, Rizzo, right? Because you, you oh, talk about Brian, talk about Zorbis. Rizzo is actually getting uh, a steady diet of fastballs. Uh, they're just inside, and they've just they've just really focused on this one spot, and he just can't do anything with it right now. And he's been trying to do something with it for a while, and that that's the really bad outcomes. What I've seen that I like from Rizzo the last couple of games is that now he's laying off of it, good, and good. he's he's doing a better job of not swinging at that. And um, you can actually see. Uh, I don't know if this will allow me to do game. Let me see what a swing rate on fastballs is by game. Well, while you're getting that, I'll mention he, Rizzo, yeah, two for 26, four walks, um, and, and, so, and seven strikeouts. So it's, it's been a little bit of a struggle. Yeah, but the, the four walks have been more recently. And he, mm-hmm. the first two games against the Dodgers, he swung at 57% of the fastballs, 50% of the fastballs, and then yesterday he swung at 30 so I think that's way better for him because they're not really aiming, you know, over the plate in. They're aiming at his hands. Oh, yeah. And the, did you see that one, that inside pitch, um, that r- way inside on him where he stuck his elbow out, almost ready to kind of get hit by it? I think if he'd gotten hit by it, they would have reviewed it and, and made him stay. Uh, yeah. Made him stay in the I mean, box. Or, or do you get plate. called out if you do that? Or do you get to – is it just a ball? He crosses the plate. But, you know, that also creates – that creates a little space for him, and the lefty strike zone has actually shifted. It's not, you know, it's a little bit, you know, past the plate. You know, like it's yeah. not straight plate. It's actually in a little bit, and then it goes further off the edge. So it lingers um, off the edge there. Yeah, yeah. So this the stat like the stat tracks a little. The boxes that they'll make for lefties are even more um, misleading, I think, than they are usually. So. Uh, you know, I think that he could benefit by not swinging. I think a lot of those would be balls, and he'd walk more, and he'd force them to do something else. So, uh, I think that's that's the adjustment he's struggling with right now. Two and, more guys um, on their yeah, team. Who else? Our boy Russell, one for twenty-four. Defense yeah. too good to take him out. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I you could play play Baez at short, and Zorbist on the Zorbist, field, yeah, Zorbist. And then, but then, but then you're forced to play Hayward, who's my other guy. I was going to ask about: should he even be playing right now, or should it be Almora or Soler? Well, you know, uh, uh, Hayward had a couple of nice ropes down the line, um, and you know, we saw some defensive plays last night where if he'd been in, they would have maybe cut a run down at least, because you know the uh, Soler was it Soler or I forget who was in right. It was it was Soler, I believe. Yeah, he couldn't get a throw in. And, you know, stop the runner somewhere. So I, I forget exactly, you know, the exact situation, but it was when the Dodgers were putting some runs together and, and you know, there was a definitely some defensive miscue. And then we saw, hey, hey, like, Fowler run Solaire over. Um, so, you know, I think I would play Hayward. Uh, I love Russell long term, but, you know, in the short term, he's a 22-year-old guy, and they're throwing it low and away, and he's struggling. He He's flailing at it, and he's struggling to not swing at it, and sometimes they are strikes, so he's going to have to... He's good middle in, but you, you, if you're good middle in, you either have to not swing at those other pitches, or you have to have like a two-strike approach 
where you can alter your approach a little bit and spray the ball with two strikes. You know, he could squat. He could squat down, cut a foot off of his height, and then really attack the ball that way, Rymel Tapia style. <laughs> no, I'm just cut kidding. Cut his legs off at the ankle would be great. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, oh you mean the Tapia? The Tapia. Yeah, the, just just squat way down there, the cut cut a whole squat. foot off of your it. strike zone there, and just really <laughs> grind it out that way. I don't recommend that. So. Very, so I think there's a different reasons for each of these guys. Yeah, very. And really, problems. what it is is in the playoffs, you're going to have your best advanced scouting. So you're going to have, you know, you're going to have guys, nerds pouring over this stuff that we pour over, and and really giving detailed scouting reports. Your players, your pitchers are going to spend most of the time actually listening to you during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think because mm-hmm. even if you're a young kid who throws 900, you know, <laughs> you're just you're going to listen when it's the playoffs because you want to win. So you absolutely, and, you, and you're not going to be head in the clouds. You're going to be like, I need to get Anthony Rizzo out. Tell me how to get Anthony Rizzo out nerd. And the nerd <laughs> will say, well, you know, you got to throw here and you got to throw here. And I've ignored you all year. Now give me the goods. Yeah, right. So, so it sh- does a nerd now let's shift topics here. Does a nerd on the Dodgers, have to get into their ear and suggest playing Andrew Tolles over Howie Kendrick a little bit more regularly. Because, you know, Tolles, first off, I'm really intrigued by this guy. I mean, he's got a cool story. I'm, that, that doesn't really uh, impact my intrigue. I just think he's really talented. I don't think there's any way he's not a much better defensive player. I'm not sure I'm not better in left than Howie Kendrick. And Kendrick, it's not like Kendrick's really hitting. So and Kendrick's a lefty. They're going to be facing. It's, it's all righties on that on that rotation for the uh, for the Cubs. So should Tolls be starting over Kendrick? Well, there's Oh yeah, Lester. That I've you know when he, when you're not that good, I, I tend to forget about Oy! who who who's even, who even is John A2 Lester. Too Brutus. Come my on bad. now, Lester's my, my bad, Lester. I'm, I'm of course kidding. He's amazing. Oh, okay. No, I'm an idiot. There, I'm an idiot. There are analysts who him. shall remain nameless who sometimes like to say Lester's no good. And I'm like, listen, I get it that when you watch him and you and you think, oh, 92 fastball slider curve, it and it doesn't look that exciting. I get it that you might think that he's not that good. But it's except, just results after results after results. And also, he is Madison Bumgarner. Yep. And sometimes you look at Madison Bumgarner and you might think, I don't get it. And it's, I think that's why Bumgarner's underrated, because it isn't super... Sexy. It's not ninety-five at but at your everything eyes. Everything looks the same until the last moment. Yep, exactly. I think it's no, very I, hard I agree. To see their curveballs. Uh, it's very hard to see that to differentiate their curveballs. So they get good swing rates on their curveballs. They throw the cutter as much as they throw their fastball, and the cutter gets a good amount of drop, but looks the same for a long time. So it's really you think it's going to be up here, up top, fastball, but then it's. You know, you know, four or five inches lower, or ten inches lower. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't sliding him. I actually yeah. just m- mistakenly. Yeah. So, no, no, I, but so, think, so yeah, don't start him against against that. Why, but then I don't know why they're going with Kendrick. Um, you know, maybe they see some sort of matchup thing. Um, you know, maybe they. Uh, I mean, they have a good team of nerds, and and that probably helped them discover somebody like Tolls, who I believe we've heard repeatedly now that he was working in a Kroger. Um, you know. Jeez. That should have been on the bingo sheet. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, the, you know, using pitch type values in, in this, like, small of a sample is, is, is probably folly. But he's a fastball hitter. So maybe um, they just saw, you know, a fastball hitter that has a decent amount of swing and miss in his game. And, mm-hmm. you know, Kendrick is more of a uh, contact hitter, um, at least in terms of whiffs. And I think probably in terms of strikeout rate, um, more of a contact hitter that, um, you know, for his career has been able to, to hit uh, secondary pitches fairly well, at least when it comes to, um, you know, sliders and, and curveballs. So maybe they didn't want to have like a lineup wide weakness against a certain pitch type. That's the only thing I can come up with because I would agree with you. Otherwise, uh, Tolls is in there against every righty. And maybe they like having tolls on the bench to come in later, righty, uh, as righty opposed power to off the bench, yeah, yeah, as opposed to having to replace him when the lefty reliever comes in, and then put Kendrick in the outfield or Ethier. They want tolls to come in, 
get that uh, at bat against a righty and then go play defense to to seal off hopefully a W for them because he's definitely the the defensive upgrade. So I get it to a degree. It's not like he's proven himself beyond a shadow of a doubt with 115 major league plate appearances, but I watched some of the Kendrick at bats and it's you know, he can look like the guy that we saw back in Anaheim, uh, you know, real, like you said, contact hitter, even walking more this year. But then I see the defense and that's what really gets me. And so I think that's where the biggest upgrade would be. But I think they're going to stick with Kendrick uh, for now. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes for them. Hopefully it doesn't kill them because they have a, a replacement right there. All right. Let's look at a few players going forward, right? Some playoff guys that are, are performing one way or another right now, but I want to get your thoughts on them for 2017, the fantasy outlook for them. Justin Turner now hit a home run yesterday, and if you if you, if you you go look at the last three years combined with a minimum 1,000 plate appearances, he actually has, I think, 1,300, but you got to go from either 1,000 to 1,500, so I had to go with 1,000. He's 18th, Justin Turner is, in WRC Plus since 2014. All three of those seasons have been great, too. He gave the league a one-month head start this year. He was not good coming back from that microfracture, and I was a little bit worried that it might be a lingering situation at age 31. Nope, it was it was really just about a month and a half, and then he completely got on track, had an excellent finish to the season, 922, 979, 854, and 830 his last four months of OPS. Where do you draft a 32-year-old Justin Turner next year? Who will be a free agent, by the way? You know, it's funny. He had a an ISO bounce where he was like 190 last year, and he's up to 210, 220 almost this year. And if you didn't pay attention to the rest of the league, you would say, "Oh, this is great. This is more continuation of his aggressive, you know, get the go and get the fastball philosophy. This is more maturation as a power hitter. He was a slap hitter before, and he's different now. And this is growth, and this is real." You have to put it in the context of the league, though, and realize that everyone got like a 20-point 20 20 ISO boost. Yes. And Freddie Galvis hit 20 homers. I'm just going to keep saying it every episode. Freddie Galvis hit 20 homers, guys. That's amazing. It's crazy. It's amazing. Um, Chase Headley hit 14. <laughs> and I, and I, another guy who I don't think had one for like two months. Yeah. Like he, he gave the league a full two months and still popped 14. But anyway, so I think uh, just because this is, you know, homers and we're talking fantasy, just ranking third baseman by homers, where do you, without looking, where would you put Turner? Like eight, between eight and 11 is what's jumping in my head. That's my snap yeah, judgment. Pretty good. Ten. Okay. But, you know, I think that uh, 27 homers strikes us as a lot, but, you know, isn't it quite as much as it used to be? So if you project him next year for, you know, 275, 25 homers, then you basically think he's uh, Michael Franco. Um, Last year, 27 probably would have been fifth, right? Top five? Behind Arenado, Donaldson, and Machado, and... Um, Carpenter had 29. So, yeah, I mean, so to your point about changing the perception, I think we understand that, that there was the power surge, but you got to apply it to everybody. It, it, it counts even for the guys who were a little bit more power established, like a Turner, because, yes, he did have that, that the bust out of 27, but is it really growth or is it the league going with him? And... We don't know if it's going to hold, right? We, we still don't know exactly why why there were so many homers here, and what if what if it doesn't hold? How how frustrating would that be for fantasy? Yeah, like what if, if the commission gets busted and loses <laughs> his job, and you know they go back to the other ball? Yeah, I I think we have to just assume that this is the new reality, um, and recalibrate and just consider Justin Turner a top ten guy, but not much better. Okay. Um, and I think there could be, you could make a, an argument for um, taking Michael Franco over Justin Turner next year, just based on it, if you see some skills growth and, and age, um, you know, it's much more likely that Michael Franco gets better and Justin Turner gets worse, just based on the fact that uh, Turner's going to be 32 next year and Franco's going to be 24, 25, 25. Okay. He's we're right in the middle. He just turned 24. So, you know, there's more oh, th- growth. Th- yeah, it'll be his age 24 season. This was just his age 23 season. Yeah, so 
Uh, I think I might personally rather take Franco unless, you know, Franco still has that uh, prospect sheen about him and goes more rounds ahead. Then I say, well, thank you very much. I'll take this old ginger here and be <laughs> fine with it. But, uh, I mean, I do think that's uh, kind of where you're going to be looking is... Um, is uh, let's see Hashtag here. old ginger. Old ginger. Let me see here. Uh, do you know that Justin Turner got hit in uh, in the face in college and tore his ACL trying to get out of the way of the pitch? You're joking. No. I'm sorry that he got hit in the face, but it's, that's the best story I've ever it was heard in just my life. Like, it was like the biggest fail what? of all time. You're just like, Wow. So I got domed. Oh, and I ripped my knee. I'm done for the year. Cool. Cool. That's unbelievable. That's, yeah. again, I'm glad he's okay because I want to laugh at that. Carpenter or Turner? I'm going to go Carp. Yeah, I, I just, I, I really so. like Matt Carpenter. I just think he's a, a, a great he hitter who's going to be. played appearances in Turner this year. He walks twice as much. He should have 100 runs next year. He doesn't have... Well, he missed time due to injury this year, but I don't think he has the same injury history beyond that. And um, with he that knee... younger. Yeah, the, the, pardon me? the knee is... The, Turner's, Turner's knee is actually a little, bit, is a little bit worrisome. I mean, microfracture's not good. No, microfracture is actually really bad. And it, it's what scared me off of him. And then when it's when, again when he came out in April and was performing poorly, I said, "Well, hey, good decision, Paul. You're the best. Definitely judge all of your decisions in April, y'all. That's the <laughs> so right way take, to play fantasy take, baseball." So we're gonna take Lamb uh, and Carpenter over Turner. There yep. might be more discussion when it comes to Franco versus Turner. I agree. I agree. All right, let's and let's move on. Let's move on. Rendon stole twelve bases. Who? Rendon. Oh yeah, no. But I hey. Injury concerns of his own, though. True, but I think those those SBs are an indicator of his health, and that yeah, was something that I, I said I was going to use as a measure this year. If he was running, because I knew that team was going to run more with Baker and Lopes, if he was running, I felt he that was a sign that he was healthy. If you look at, at Rendon's 2016, it really wasn't that far off of the 2014. Five fewer stolen bases, one fewer homer, 20 fewer runs, that's more of the team, and then two two more ribbies and 17, 17 uh, fewer points of batting average. So, again, most of it was lower, a little bit lower, but within the margin of this is the same skilled guy. And, yes, I agree that it, Anthony Rendon's always going to kind of have the looming injury concerns because he's piled up a ton dating back to Rice when he went, when he went to college. Yeah, yeah. But that's still a guy, I think, at age 27 he could hit that I'm going to prefer. Homers. Exactly. And I still think – that there's a 310, 320 type of great season. Not, not only is he hitting well, but the Babbitt, you know, all, when everything yeah, comes yeah. together, I think that season's in there as well. So I would take Rendon over Turner as well. All right. Personally. Um, I, I think I'm out of names that we would take over. I mean, Jose Ramirez. That's funny. I was just looking at him and going to ask you. I really like yeah, Ramirez. the hardest. But I think I'm going to go Turner there. If Ramirez I, I steps back at all, he's less a lot less useful. I feel like, and, like if, and he, if he hits like two eighty with ten homers and fifteen stolen bases next year, exactly the the stolen bases are the piece that you just don't know how they're going to fluctuate. And I know it's an extreme example, but of course Machado twenty to zero, uh, but he's hardly the only guy. And we see these guys bounce around unless you're the burner, like a VR, a Marte, a Billy Hamilton. It's hard to trust because so many different circumstances can go into it. The biggest just being don't want to because, okay, I have a nagging knee that I'm not really telling anybody about because it's not DL worthy, but it's going to curb my stolen bases. You know, And I'm not saying obviously that Ramirez has that, but if something like that pops up, we might not know about it. We might just see this guy doesn't run anymore. And then we find out in the off season of that year, oh, yeah, I had a knee from July on. So that's why I only had two. Yeah, that's why I only had two stolen bases. So we just know that I, they age terribly and he's, he's not really a, a super plus there. So yeah, I go Turner. I got to go Turner there. Yeah. So I All think right. we, we, we basically put Turner around, you know, 12 to 14 next year, I think, without. Without knowing where he goes, and yeah. we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll assess go it that short, point. so you can take him off that list a little bit. That's true. That and that thickens up. I mean, shortstop's pretty 
pretty dope, though. Both of those positions are a lot better than they've ever been uh, Eduardo in, in recent stole history. Eduardo 40 friggin' bases. I was going to bring him up in this conversation, but he's a shortstop. So 40 bags. 40 bags this year. Even he, when the power went away with San Francisco, he still ran. still be useful, yeah. Now, where's he going to be, though? Is he a free agent? Was, this, was that a rental? No, they got one more year. Okay, so they're 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 going to still have him as their utility I think the, guy. I think the idea was that they were going to trade Duffy. I think that's why they got Nunez. Oh yeah, there you go. And uh, and we just didn't know it at the time. And I think they hope that Christian Arroyo uh, can be Matt Duffy, or you know, after after Nunez leaves. And uh, Christian Arroyo took a step back in Double A this year. Didn't show much power. Uh, doesn't have a lot of walks, but has a kind of similar background to Matt Duffy where he makes a lot of contact and has had decent batting averages so could, could be better at the major league level than his minor league you know, yep. one of those guys yep. that comes up at, and just is uh, is pretty good not amazing I mean they haven't created other than Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner most of their guys have been just okay but they've been okay in that Cardinals mold where it's like what oh great another oh. like league average guy or you know yeah how, how is that guy so much better than he was coming yeah. up and, and just are and then you factor in it's in that park too so it's almost even better than than maybe the the raw numbers would tell you and so yeah i i, I could totally see that he'll be a good holdover for them eduardo nunez will and i think he'll continue to run even if the power isn't there again because of that park all right let's talk toronto pitchers because the big talk is always about Aaron Sanchez's innings going up. And obviously it is important. He's going to go uh, over 100 more than he had last year. But did you realize, did you know, Marcus Stroman is up to 215 innings from 46 last year because of the injury. Uh, And he returned in September, got some innings in it, and then pitched in the playoffs. Is that more concerning to you than, than Aaron Sanchez's jump from 215 to 46 for Stroman? Yeah, I mean, we know innings jumps, and, and Jason and I talked about this because uh, we got into a discussion with uh, with a guy about Sanchez in particular. You know, we know that the innings jump alone isn't what you know creates it. It doesn't destine you for the for the DL. It do, you know it doesn't automatically kill you, but that's a pretty substantial jump for you know uh, the workload for a guy who is not huge. And and so can, can he hold up another two hundred next year when you're paying not top dollar the way he was this year? Stroman was very expensive this year, coming on on some hype, but he also closed the season strong with uh, with strikeouts. You know, I, I think there's still going to be plenty of love for him, even though it's going to be cheaper than last year. It's not going to be cheap. How do you feel about somebody like that going out for another two hundred? I you know. I'm not a Verduccier in terms of the effect, the Verducci yeah. effect, and you know having these big jumps to be a big deal. Uh, I'm not sure that we know these things, but I especially uh, am not that way about a guy uh, who's established a baseline uh, in the major leagues uh, of being capable of big innings. So, so since he had, I mean, already 100... done in 2014, 165. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's a decent total, and I think you really should be judging the 204 against the 165. That's completely fair. That's and, completely uh, fair. In that case, you're you're it is a little bit more than 20 percent, but it's not a lot more than 20 percent. And um, talking about a 25 year old man, not like a you know 17 year old kid. So um, I, I, I don't. It doesn't worry me too much. Well, uh, let's expand it out then. Who is your favorite of the Toronto group? Because they have a nice, interesting group that all kind of live in that middle tier area where you and I sometimes like to pluck from Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, Marco Estrada, Jay Happ. I don't think any of them are going to be super costly uh, for various reasons, some on reputation. I don't think people really still probably don't trust Marco Estrada at large. Jay Happ certainly not going to get a lot of trust, and he's a little bit on the older side as far as pitchers go. And then Stroman and Sanchez, I think that uh, that these innings jumps will depress their price, which will benefit us if we're not going to be too worried about it. Who do you like best out of that group based on their perceived cost? We don't know yet, but assuming that none of them are terribly expensive, who who would you want most out of that, uh, out of that Toronto rotation? Kind of assuming that Sanchez will be the most expensive, but he's also the one I like the most. 
Um, yeah. I like that Strowman started adding more Ks uh, late in the year, but if we look at all these guys, there's there's two the two most dominant pitches among all of these pitches and all, that these guys throw are Estrada's changeup and Sanchez's Sanchez. sinker. Sinker, yep. And if you're looking for the second, like the the the, the best second uh, weapon, um, I think it might be Sanchez's power curve. So yep. Uh, you know, it could be Estrada's fastball, but you know, I kind of I know that a fastball can be good at 88, 89, but I'd rather have a power curve than be calling my 89 mile hour fastball my best second weapon. So, um, so I think it's Sanchez, and you know, we're doing some more research on this, but I think Jeff Zimmerman might have something on this soon. Having a very having a plus plus pitch can actually break. Uh, FIP a little bit and can can um, can make your outcomes look better than they should and I think that the way that it works is that you have a pitch that nobody can hit you know and yeah you can't throw it 90% of the time like a knuckle right sure but you know it's a weapon you can go to so like let's say your strand rate is high okay your strand rate is high You because in the history of baseball you think you know, 70% is normal strand rate right okay but what if you had a pitch that was amazing, and every time you really needed to strand that runner, you could go to that pitch? Mm-hmm. Would it be seventy percent? I, I don't. I don't think it could be. I, right. I, I think that that that's a great point, and that that that's that really works for somebody like Estrada, who you know, like you said, what is it, eighty-eight, eighty-nine with the fastball, but the changeup is there. I mean, he's almost got the two pitches that that are really, really good. Obviously, they play off of each other. And so you wonder, well, it's not overwhelming stuff. Again, there's still effective velocity in the way it kind of looks off of the changeup. All of a sudden, 88 plays like 92, 93, and you're right back at average uh, from, from a velocity standpoint. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if at sometimes, based on the, uh, the devastation of that changeup, if the heater doesn't play more, almost like a mid-90s. Uh, heater just just in the way it's perceived because it's coming off of that 77 mile per hour changeup, and so I, I I completely agree with you there with regards to the strand rate piece as it relates to plus pitches. I wonder if that's something that the Jays are are focusing on getting guys who have at least just this one plus out pitch that they can rely on, and, and maybe that's helping them kind of discover or or cultivate certain guys. Obviously, Estrada more of a discovery. Sanchez something of their of their own building there that sinker is so devastating and when 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 your best pitch is the fastball yeah you can't do it 90% like you said but you can you can do a hell of a lot of of the time right 74% that he uses that that fastball you can just lean on that sucker and uh, I think that's a good point about how it kind of busts fit you said Zimmerman's going to be coming out with something on that yeah, I think so. He's got a, he got a, he has a, I need to run the query. He sent me a query that he's very excited about. Um, so I need to, I need to look at that, but, um, that, that'll be interesting. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have something on that shortly, but, um, any case, uh, I think that the, it is an argument. We've had a, a long argument about what's more useful, uh, to have a wide variety of pitches or to have one plus pitch. And I think that, I mean, obviously the best thing to do is to have a wide variety of pitches and one plus pitch. Um, because yeah, sign me up for that one, right? Because, uh, <laughs> bec- but then that's not a sleeper anymore, right? Um, exactly. That's but, just a stud. Uh, that's just a stud, right? But um, uh, you want the more pitches because you'll get further into games and get more wins and 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 be able to last longer as a starting pitcher and have a longer career. Um, and these things are are all demonstrable. They've been they've been shown. MGL Mitchell Lickman has a thing about how much better you are third time through the order if you have more pitches. Just adding a pitch makes you like 5% better. Um, wow. So uh, that's, I think that's the sort of, that's the, that's the hidden problem with uh, a fastball slider guy. Um, even if they do have enough command to make it as a starting pitcher, they're not going to necessarily get a lot of wins because they might not get to the sixth and seventh inning a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of five inning outings, and you know if your team doesn't have the lead yet, and you can't get the dub. I think you like there's a should there a name should come right to your head when I when I say five innings fastball slider Jason Hamill. You know Jason Hamill. Jason his Hamill. stats look pretty good, 
but I know. he's never going to give you a lot of wins. He's never going to give you a lot of innings. And, you know, you you could overpay for his projections if you ignore wins like we often do. And they seem to catch up to him. Uh, the league seems to catch up to him in the second half. Yeah, which you is know, not it, crazy because that's when he's seeing all those lineups a second time. Yep, he's starting to see them more. He's wearing down. They're, they're, they're getting better against his stuff. And you see these blow-up outings that really ballooned his ERA. Hamill was on his way to maybe finally breaking through on that. Now, he did get some of the wins. That, that's part of being uh, you know on a 103-win club. But to your point, it was the same sort of deal. In fact, it was fewer innings than in the last two years, 166 and two-thirds in 30 starts. And his ERA ballooned all the way up to 383 because he had some absolutely devastating outings in the second half. I just don't know that you can value him as more than that, that mid-rotation guy, even though, like you said, some of the numbers that you see might suggest something better. Plus, he's going to be 34 next year. So I don't think you can go too crazy on Jason Hamill going forward at all. All right, you know, last bit here. Tyler Naquin, remember, came out firing, just hitting bombs left and right. We're wondering, where's this coming from, this guy? Okay, we, we thought maybe he could be something useful, especially because he was going to get playing time in that outfield. But it was going to be more of average stolen bases, maybe scoring runs type of profile. And all of a sudden, he was hitting for power. Well, one home run in his last 48 games, obviously expanding back into the regular season. That power really dried up as the league kind of started to see him more. What do you think his 2017 power output looks like? Yeah. I mean, he's so different than he was in the minor leagues. Completely. He, he, he just, like, went for the whiffs and the walks and the power when he'd been kind of like a spray-hitting, you know, more contact-friendly in the minors. And this is just rumor. I have not been able to corroborate this, but I think to ha- help him fall asleep when he was a kid, you know how sometimes you kind of have that uh, that sound machine that either plays like for my niece has a heartbeat. Uh, you know, sometimes you could do like the nature thing. His parents just played the Chicks Dig the Long Ball commercial on repeat. <laughs> so he, w- he would well, fall asleep listening until, to that. It didn't work until he finally hit the, the major leagues. Because he said he, he didn't think the chicks would dig the log ball in the minors. He didn't uh, care. It was, all about, it was all about an end goal in the majors. So, again, this is not a corroborated story. I only have one source on it. I need to get my second source before it's true. It's right now rumor, but that is just what I heard. I'm just uh, – people are saying. Oh, people are crazy. Uh, people, I'm just saying. Uh, no, but for real, to, to your point, 31% strikeout rate, 14% swinging strike rate, but a 22% homer to fly ball ratio, which led to 14 homers in the 365 plate appearances. I don't think he had 14 homers in like his two best minor league seasons combined. Uh, you know, Naquin, it came out of nowhere. Does he adjust back to the guy he was in the minors or does he stick with this and try to refine this power-based approach? Well, I think there might be a changing book on him because, you know, he definitely changed. Um, the, he definitely changed his approach, and and uh, I think he's standing taller, and um, you know, changed his hand placement a little bit, and trying to get more loft on the ball, and uh, similar stuff to what Jake Lamb did. So that that led to a power outburst, and if you look at the way that they were pitching him um, early, I think it's the kind of uh, you know until September until the the calendar came to September, they were pitching him kind of hard of the zone. I mean, there's, it's a little bit like, you know, Hit it, I've Rook. seen, I've seen, yeah. And I've seen you, you have good walk numbers in the minor leagues. Uh, you seem like a patient guy. So I'm just going to fill up the zone because you, I'm not afraid of your power. And, um, you know, then in September where you had the terrible month, uh, the, all that hard of the zone fastballs went away. And, uh, if they went to a four-seamer at all, the most likely place was not that edge on top of the zone. It was another, you know, three inches up. So mm-hmm. really out of the zone up, and uh, if it's in the zone, still very high up in there, and almost nothing uh, below the below the belt. So that's that's the fastball, and, and that would suggest that the book changed on him. Uh, you know, when it comes to the sinker. Uh, in September, uh, you know, they start more throwing more sinkers in, um, you know, kind of uh, the ones you throw at the hip 
they call them front door sinkers. Yeah, um, bust them and he can't get around on it. Yeah, and you know maybe he takes those because they don't look good. Uh, but uh, early on, they were more uh, predictable with the the two seamer and just throwing it away. Um, and uh, they they started throwing it um, uh, more in on his hip and further away. So they they stopped throwing him fastballs as much, and they stopped throwing him fastballs in the zone as much. And we haven't seen a great reaction to that. That doesn't mean there can't be a great reaction to that next year where he says, okay, fine, I'm going to walk 14% of the time because y'all are afraid. Um, and maybe that gets him into better counts and he can hit for power again. So I'm not well, going that, to write him off or anything. But um, That could boost Naquin up into uh, up in the lineup too. If you're walking 14% of the time, and you they might pull. And you have legs. And yeah, I mean, I think his defense is interesting. The, the small sample defensive stats didn't like him that much. Um, but you know, there may be usefulness for him in center, uh, next year. And considering he did well, uh, you know, in his first taste, I feel like he'll be a regular. There I, I is so a risk too. that he's not though. And so that makes him very iffy in anything other than a bench slot for mixed leagues. And I, I think he's much more of a, uh, sort of American league only play where, you kind of you pay for the projection. The projection right now is for two thirds of a season and basically ten ten two sixty. I think if you paid for that, there's a couple different ways he could be way better than that. One is he could play all year, and and be at that level. And then two is he could he could keep his he could retain his power. <clears throat> so I, I would pay yeah, for both like, those avenues. So there is avenues for upside with Tyler Aquin. And I would I would pay for two sixty ten ten. Okay. And and believe that. Uh, you know, 260, 2010, or 2015 as possible. I mean, 10, 10, 260 sounds like one of those numbers that back in the day, most people will not get this. You might not. That you'd have to call, you put that in for free long distance ten, or, or for cheaper long distance. Do you remember those numbers that I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, think I, they, I think 10, 10, 260 was one of them. I, and I think that uh, if he goes 10, 10, 260 next year, then we call Tyler Naquin long distance. That's long his, distance. That, that's his nickname. Get the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> some few old people will get the joke, and uh, most people have no idea what the hell I'm talking some about because they're like TV people. <laughs> what is calling people? What does that mean? What do you phone? What do you mean P-H- call? What, yeah, what 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 are you talking about, Paul? But believe me, there were multiple numbers like that, and Tony Danza sponsored one. It's the. I'm going to stop here. He had a commercial about it. I can't remember what. 1010 something. But 101060, Tyler Naquin, aka Tyler Raquin, uh, might not be Raquin quite as much next year, though, because that would be. I mean, if you go 101060 in a, a relatively full season, that's obviously lower output than the 14 that he hit in 365 plate appearances this year. But I do think that playing time is going to be there. And Clint Frazier getting traded for Andrew Miller. Uh, is gonna it's gonna help him right? That's gonna help extend maybe the leash that he gets because now you're looking at Naquin, Brantley, uh, Geyer on the on the weak side of the platoon. Maybe he platoons Probably with Naquin. Naquin. Geyer, yeah. yeah, and and then uh, Chiz is out there, and they could maybe find somebody else that they that they like. But there's not a bunch knocking on the door. And then Bradley Zimmer is that uh, is that guy in the minors who, if he proves himself, then he can come in and start disrupting that. But I do think that Tyler Naquin opens the season with a job and a clear angle on full time PT. Yeah, um, Rajai Davis is a is a is a free agent. Free agent, yeah, he was a one year. So. So yeah, I think yeah, it looks like uh, and Bird is is a free agent and uh, he's he's toast. He's is toast. he banned? Um, was like he the third did. One. He might be. He yeah, didn't banned. didn't he didn't he get banned and then just say ah, I guess I'll quit? I got caught again. <laughs> yeah, he was suspended hey, man, for 162 he, he games. Got paid like whatever percentage of a million dollars this year it was still worth it, probably. Yeah. So, I mean. He took a calculated risk, and I, I, I still think it paid off for him. I'm not advocating. Well, I, maybe I am advocating. Th- there are not enough disincentives to not do what he did. He, he, Marlon Burgess sold out for power, took some stuff to enhance that power, got caught a couple times, but had made a few mil, uh, you know, multiple million on the way out, and said, okay, I guess I'll, I'll pack it in now. I made plenty of money, and no one's going to remember 
that he did that, you know, five years down the road, they're going to be like, well, who cares? Remember when Marlon Byrd was an okay player? So I, I don't even think it, like, tarnishes his legacy because he doesn't have a legacy because he's Marlon Byrd. <laughs> anyway, that's the Indians outfield situation. Tyler Naquin will be an interesting player. I think he'll get overdrafted in some situations, especially if they continue on, and maybe he, he could be one of those overrated playoff guys if he has some big moments. Um, I want to say, though, too, when we talk about the speed, I think 10 is right because I think he was seen as more of a speedy center fielder type. He was a 69% success rate, which is not nice on stolen bases. It sounds nice, I understand, but he was 47 for, for 68 in the minors with a handful of double-digit seasons, but not a great success rate. So I don't even think that you can really see too much upside there. I really do think the upside is confined to the power when it comes to Naquin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not he's not gonna steal thirty or forty bases, I don't think. So No, no. Famous last a, words. He's definitely a, gonna do more that. More of an now. athlete. I mean he did hit that inside the park home run, but Which was cool. Yeah, was, the, the the celebration was the best. The yeah, that was, is, a, that, that, was that was a top ten moment for me. Yeah, that <laughs> was a, the, everyone around him and he's doing like guitar hero style. Yeah, when they do the uh the the wrap up shows on MLB, like best moments or whatever that's going to be in there in one of those shows. I don't know exactly best plays. They do several of them. That Naquin moment's going to be in there because it was great. Um, Too bad it doesn't have fantasy value outside of the homer that it counted for. Anyway, you know, that's going to wrap it up for us. You're going to go try to play a little bit injured. It's not the finger, y'all. His finger is apparently fine. It's my butt. It's his butt. My butt. He has a butt injury. He's like Daniel Daniel Murphy. Murphy, Yeah. I got a little Daniel Murphy in my butt. And given his his feelings about butts, uh, you know, he's not <laughs> we have so to end the show. We have to end the show. <laughs> you know, we may be back later this week. If not, Jason and I will definitely be back again. Two more weeks of sporadic uh, scheduling, but then starting in November, we'll be back on track with our with, with actually some news coming too. So stay tuned for that. I'm not. I'm only teasing it. You know, good luck out on the court. Go, Christoph Porzingis on him. Okay. All right, man. Thanks for Peace. listening.